which is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all together once again this Tuesday morning to hear and learn from your word. And in particular, giving us the opportunity to learn more about Peter and his emphasis on the importance of our lifestyle and character. Please bless Rupert as he speaks to us and helps, to, uh, helps us to understand Peter's teachings, uh, in particular, how we can share our faith. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Paul. Well, it's all pretty exciting so far, isn't it? What else can possibly go wrong? Um, so just tell me, Gary, what's, what's running at the moment? Oh, we're all up in action, are we? Marvellous. I'm slightly skewed to, skewed to this side. But I'll try to talk to both sides. Lovely to be with you. Really is. And for those of you watching at home or wherever you are, there's an audience of thousands here in the church this morning. Thousands of angels and about a dozen of us. And we're going to look together at this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to hone in on just one topic, really which is the most famous or familiar verse in the passage, which is how to share our faith. And I want to share a couple of encouraging thoughts, even before we get to the passage, just from the fact we're reading this from Peter's letter. And something to have in the back of our mind is we can learn from our mistakes. We can learn from our mistakes and we can, we can change. And the reason I say that by way of introduction is we remember, don't we, who's writing a setup, Peter. And just remember how he behaved when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're, we're told that he drew out his sword and he cut off the ear of the servant of a priest. And Jesus wasn't thrilled with that. And then also skip forward and remember how he behaved when he was asked, aren't you one of that man's followers, Jesus' followers? 
and three times he denied Jesus, didn't he? But now, years later, he writes this letter and he says to us, um, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. So what's changed? And the answer is, of course, Peter has changed. And now he writes in this letter, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. And you say, well, hang on a minute. You weren't prepared. So what's changed? He, he's changed. So I think it, it's encouraging for us just as we start. Because what I honestly think is that the moment many of us hear that the talk is going to be about sharing our faith, we feel conflicted. It's something that we know we ought to be doing, but it's something we often feel profoundly uneasy about the whole topic and almost, almost marginally, marginally guilty. And I've listened to lots and lots of uh, talks on how to share your faith. And they've often prodded me <laughs> into feeling that kind of guilt. I belong to a, a small group of a small group of regular friends I would be meeting um, for quite a few years. And just about 10 days ago, in our um, little discussion, I, I posed the question, I, I just said to them, they all know I'm a vicar, none of, none of them are um, vicars, but I said, you know, I, I was speaking at a memorial service recently, and someone was a colleague of the person I was talking about, and they said, you know, I worked with him for over 25 years. Uh, and I had no idea he was a Christian. And that's happened to me two or three times. And I'm thinking, processing it to myself, thinking, how can it be that we could be rubbing shoulders with someone really closely for, for a quarter of a century, and they have no idea that we are um, believers in Jesus Christ? And when I made this point, um, one of my friends in the small group said, oh, I'm feeling terribly hot all of a sudden under my jumper. And I think what he was saying was, you know, that would be a common story for many. And um, it's so easy to let sharing our faith slip from being part of our lives. The present Archbishop of Canterbury, very near when he'd just been made Archbishop, uh, wrote this. We need a fierce determination not to let evangelism be squeezed off our agendas. At times, I feel it's rather like me when I have to write a difficult letter or make an awkward phone call. Even things like ironing my socks become more attractive. We struggle to fit in the call to be good news in our times through Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage us this morning by saying it's challenging to share our faith, but it's not impossible. It really is challenging, but it's not impossible. I once, once watched a TV documentary in which many of the top violinists in the world um, talked about the person who trained them. And it just seemed extraordinary that this man who was known as Mr. G, uh, who lived in Paris, uh, that of the world's top violinists, he taught like five of them. And they said of him, well, he was such an amazing teacher, he could teach a table to play the violin. 
And I think we won't all find ourselves as Billy Graham, but there are certain things we can do in preparation that we can become more proficient in this whole area of sharing our faith. And I think I've made it clear already that um, although some speakers make it sound super easy, I, I mean, I, in the talks I've heard, generally, they tell story after story after story of events that just seem to happen all around them. They've, they've only got to go on a plane and the person next to them implores them, tell me the way of salvation. They've only got to book into a hotel and the receptionist um, wants to know, how do I give my life to Christ? Whenever I listen to those kind of tapes, I think, oh, I've got to get out more. I'm spending too much time in my study. But, but actually what they're not telling you or choosing not to tell you is behind the scenes. They're not telling you um, how they had to prepare and practice. Going back to the violinist idea, you know, they don't start playing in the Carnegie Hall. They start making a noise that their parents put their fingers in their ear and think, oh, I wish I picked any other instrument apart from a violin. And, and it's generally true that for us as Christians, the thing you have to do that changes you from sounding scratchy to actually being listenable to when you're sharing your faith is preparation and practice. And I, I'm honing in on this verse that says, always be prepared. Always be prepared. Look, look at verse 15 to 18. I'll read it. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. And do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And I can share with you there isn't an evangelist in the world from Billy Graham to Rick Warren or anyone else you care to name who hasn't had to practice and who hasn't had to prepare well. So here are some tips about how to do it. And they come from Peter, of course. Before you open your mouth, open your heart to Christ. This is absolutely essential. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, verse 15. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. I was once rummaging through um, a secondhand bookshop and came across an absolute jewel of a report called Towards the Conversion of England. And it was actually written um, just before the outbreak of the Second World War. And it, it was a Church of England inspired report. Um, and not all Church of England reports are inspired, but this one was about what's going on in the country. And let me read you a little paragraph that the authors wrote, because I don't think that uh, although the nation has changed, I don't think that this situation has changed all that much. We cannot expect to get far with evangelism until three facts are faced. First, the vast majority of English people need to be converted to Christianity. Secondly, a large number of church people need to be converted 
in a sense of their possessing that personal knowledge of Christ, which can be ours only by the dedication of the whole self, whatever the cost. And third, such personal knowledge of Christ is the only satisfactory basis for testimony to others. And they're saying what Peter is saying, uh, before we can even start talking to other people, we need to check our own hearts. In, in your heart, what we can't do as Christians is what, um, how the shipping trade runs. Um, boats are able to do what they call fly a flag of convenience and a boat can go under another nationality or another identity when it suits them. We can't to fly the flag of Christ, but consistency is what counts. No inquiry from your best friend or any friend or anyone is going to be a welcome inquiry if you're not sure you're following Christ yourself. It's going to make you feel awkward and embarrassed and ill-equipped. So this is foundational. In our hearts, we need to set apart Christ as Lord. And when you set apart Christ as Lord, when, when you know, when you get out of bed in the morning and the day starts, and you know that there's no clutter in your world, there is a sense in which your behavior will be different. I'll give you a lovely illustration of this. Um, many, many years ago, I used to be an insurance broker. So long ago, I can hardly remember. And it was such a short time that I, I feel slightly fraudulent even mentioning it. But one of the best things about when I was an insurance broker, I made terrific friends with another insurance broker who was a Christian, and his name was Mick. And we used to meet every day, as it happened, um, for about two and a half to three years early in the morning to pray together. And we were trying to encourage each other. I was obviously a lot younger then. And um, very, 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 very sadly, uh, Mick died incredibly early. He, he dropped down dead on a squash court, age 46. And at his um, memorial service, this story was told that one day, Mick, when he was insurance breaking, it was like one minute to five. And uh, he was going into Lloyd's, big, impressive building. And he was going into Lloyd's just in the course of his business. And he saw this conversation happening outside the building. Two people were standing there, and they happened to be Americans, and they were tourists. And they were trying to get in to see the building. And one of what were called waiters, the people outside Lloyd's who in those days wore kind of impressive uniform and, and a hat and looked fairly strange and eccentric, but that is the city at its best for tourists. And um, they were standing in the way of these two Americans and they said, I'm sorry, it's one minute to five. Tourists and visitors are not allowed in after five o'clock, I'm afraid you're just too late. And um, my friend Nick heard this conversation and um, just spontaneously, he grasped the whole thing, the situation, and he said, don't worry. And he flashed his credentials as a member of Lloyd. And as someone who worked there, and they're allowed to take guests in any time for them like they wanted to. And he swept them in as his friends. He said, I'll, I'll give you the tour. 
And he gave from this personal guided tour, took them out for tea, and, um, and they left. And the thing was, the following Sunday, that American couple happened into this church, not this, not St. Michael's, it happened to be another church in London. And there they were sitting in a crowded church in the congregation, and the service started. And, and then the children's moment came, and my friend Mick was up at the front giving a little talk for two minutes to the children. And these two Americans nudged each other, and one of them was heard to say, look, it's the angel. It's the angel. Uh, I nearly cry when I tell the story. And um, it's just what happens when you follow Christ. People will notice something about you. You will be a winner. We'll come to it. It's not enough just being different. You have to be ready to explain why you're different, as, as um, Peter says. But I'm trying to encourage us that all sorts of people um, radiate something different. I, I was just thinking back, and I think in my um, memory, I can remember a doctor who just was conspicuously different, and later it turned out like you could kind of find out why. Uh, a garage that was different. I see lots of mothers who are different. I've seen people in business who are different. I've seen teachers who are different. And it's like, it's a consistency because they've set apart Christ as Lord. But Peter does say, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. And um, we can't just duck it. I, I have met people who have tried to say, just being different is enough. But friends, it, it so seriously isn't enough. Uh, I um, heard an incredibly ironic story which really brought it home, home to me. Um, whereas someone discovered that I think too late that the person they worked with had been a Christian and they had no idea. And they said, you know, the peculiar thing was, I often said to myself, if you can be as nice as Fred without being a Christian, what's the point of being a Christian? Which, which is rather devastating really, because um, it completely missed, missed the whole point. So I'm gonna move on, but I'm saying first of all, before you open your mouth, open your heart to the Lord. Secondly, pray for opportunities to share your faith. The uh, disciples were praying in the upper room before Pentecost and that prayer is peppered with requests that God would strengthen them to share their faith. And actually, privately, if, if you could see behind the private lives of people who are effective at sharing their faith, I'm pretty certain prayer is there. And it, I wonder if we are praying for moments where opportunities God could give us to share our faith. And then I'm moving to the main point really now, how to prepare, be prepared to share Christ. And I think that's be prepared in both senses of be prepared in the sense you've done the preparation, but be prepared also in the sense of, I'm ready to do this. There's no situation I'm gonna duck out of it. That kind of being prepared. And if I want to personalize it, I, I would say, 
what would I think if one of my friends was too embarrassed to share that they were a friend of mine? I would say, well, you're not much of a friend. I want friends who are prepared to say, I'm Rupert's friend, anytime, any place. They're always prepared to own up that we know each other kind of thing. And I think that that is a state of mind. Are you prepared? Would you be prepared? Not That doesn't mean, would you be gauche? Would you be in your face? Um, not at all, but it, it means appropriately, would you be ready? And um, of course, I'm aware that, as you're aware, this territory is difficult. It can be really difficult. Sharing your face can be really difficult. Um, there are quite a lot of surveys done about people's attitudes to Christians and Christianity. And right now, yes, there are many people who think even, even to let your faith influence your lifestyle, well, they think it's rather extreme, which is a challenge because my faith definitely influences my lifestyle. It's just part of what it means to follow Christ. But there are good ways and bad ways, aren't there, of sharing our faith. And just as people say, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people. I like to say, win some people, win some people. And it's true. It, it's true. People come to faith for all sorts of reasons. I want to tell you my favorite story of how someone came to faith. Um, when, many years ago now, when Liz and I had our, our first child, Emily, who is, oh, she wouldn't like me to tell you how old she is, but she's not young anymore. She, many years ago, um, our house was exactly like everyone else's house after they just had a baby. It was chaos. And um, it was a mess. And we looked tired permanently. And my boss, who was a delightful man called David, came around to see us. And um, we we're all at sixes and sevens. And he looked embarrassed. He didn't really know where to look while Liz was breastfeeding a baby. It was all awful, carnage. And um, at the end of the visit, you, you wouldn't meet a nicer man in the world at, at, than David. And at the end of the visit, Um, we stood in a sort of hall and the party, and Liz had made a trifle. I said to David, David, would you could just take this trifle that he would know I meant for the party? And she walked out of the house with a trifle, one who lived in a neighboring street, and they'd sent in a request to um, have their baby baptized. And David arrived on this person's doorstep and said, hello, uh, I'm David from the church, and um, this is a present from Liz. She'd like you to have this trifle. And I think Liz had met this girl sort of twice ever in her life. Anyway, that girl said, well, if someone's kind enough to make me a trifle and they don't even know me, and it's because they're a Christian, I want to be one. <laughs> and uh, you know, how weird is that? The story of a missing trifle. And, um, and, and you know, win some people, win some people. And one of the things that, Peter says here, which is really helpful. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to 
to anyone who asks. But he says, do so with, with gentleness and respect. And I think, if, if I'm candid, that this is where some people go wrong. That um, it gives Jesus a bad name and it gives them a bad name if they just bash on regardless. You know, they just decide, oh, help, I've just had a talk about sharing your faith. I haven't done it in 25 years. Right, the next five people are my victims. And it's, it's like, you know, it really, really alienating. And I, I think one of the really important things, what, what in my mind, frankly, distinguishes a good evangelist from a, a, a really rubbish one, is the ability to listen. It, it's not the ability to explain, it's the ability to listen, to really listen carefully and sense sensitively where the person you're talking to is coming from. And I, I think one of the reasons that I was so alienated from Christians and all things Christian for many, many, many years was I was so fed up with having people being insensitive. I was trying to give off the vibe, keep away from me. If you want to talk about religion, that's definitely not where I want to go. But they kept going on in a bush, bash, bash, whoop, And all it did was make me more and more and more hostile. We need to develop a way of listening. And if people want us to back off, we back off. I think one of the lovely things, actually, about the Alpha course is not only the way it informs people, but the way it makes space to listen to people and leaves them enough space to walk away if they want it seems to me a two-sided message to the alpha formula or set out. It seems that we give people dignity, I think. We say, if you're interested enough to give up nine evenings, say, or nine afternoons to considering Christ, we're interested enough to give nine evenings or nine afternoons to listen to you. Um, we have to learn to do it with gentleness and respect. And people are not interested. Well, we pray for them from a distance, but we don't bully or harass them. Um, I've got quite a few stories, which I haven't got time to tell, of, of absolute failure when it comes to sharing my faith. And trying so hard and wanting to, sort of dangling the bait in front of the fish, but they don't rise. And if they didn't rise to it, well, it's not time. You can't do anything about that. Um, I played golf with a group of really boring men for five years in hope that one day we might get on to some topic of significance. And at, at the end of five years, and hours and hours and hours, every Wednesday, flogging around the golf course, I, I, the nearest, if you could pass on one piece of advice to your grandchildren, what would it be? And... Um, they knocked it for six straight away and said, oh, I need warning of a question like that. And I, I thought, oh, right, okay. You know, you tried. Yeah, I came, I saw, I bombed. <laughs> it just, but you can't do more than, than try, fair enough. But sometimes, sometimes, I promise you, God will bring to you, God will bring to you as someone he really wants to land in the kingdom of God. And 
if we're praying and if we're prepared and if we're ready and not in Paris, um, we'll be able to help them. And so Peter actually goes a little bit further. So I'm going to go a little bit further. You do need to prepare what you would say. And you won't get far in sharing your faith until you're prepared to speak the name Jesus. Now, I think I realized this very early on in my Christian life as a, as a young boy, sort of age 20. And I thought, oh, I can't get the name of Jesus out without going red and without stuttering. I just, oh, dear. So every day as I was shaving in front of a mirror, I would practice saying the name of Jesus to myself without going red <laughs> to myself. And because you do have to get over that hurdle. And uh, I, I've got over that hurdle now. I can generally do it without gulping, but in certain company I might gulp. And then work out what's your way, individual to you, that you would share what your faith means and what Jesus has done. And then you know, Peter's prepared. In verse 18, he gives a little summary of the gospel of his chapter, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. You, you do need, and, and you know, how much time have I got left? It's quarter two. We did start quite, we did start quite late. I'll tell you extra time. Um, you do need some kind of outline I think it's so helpful to have it in your head. Probably, probably the most familiar outline you've ever heard of the good news is the very old one of the illustration where you say something like this. This represents, I'm sure you've seen this before, this represents you know, us and God's up there and there's something in between us and God and that's called sin and that's a barrier. And um, if you've ever tried to pray and it hasn't gone well and you haven't felt God placed, that's a very common experience. That's us. You know, that's sin that's in the way. If you've ever tried to please God, you'd find it a huge struggle. You know, you've turned over a new leaf. Who hasn't done that? Your New Year's resolution. And you haven't even kept your own standards. So we give up our new, new Year's resolution by January the 2nd. Uh, we all know that. And it's like... We can't even live to our own sound, let alone God. And you will see this illustration. So when you try and talk to God and you think you're close, you're not. And it's sin that's in the way. And you'll have seen this little one before. It's what happens to sin. Jesus comes in the world and he offers us to carry our sin on his back. And uh, we talk about the cross and we talk about the resurrection. And it's not perfect, this illustration, and it's not fulfilled. And I'm rushing it and I could explain it in much greater detail. But all I'm trying to say is... If you've got some sort of template where you want to go, you, you won't be wrong-footed or so wrong-footed even when the chance comes to share it. Another thing I do uh, is I, I stop and think, okay, let's think about some incident in Jesus's life that I really wish I'd been there. So it might be the feeding of 5,000, it might be walking on water, it might be the resurrection, standing outside an empty tomb. Anything 
And I think about it and I think, how I, could I share that story? And the reason I'm thinking of doing it like this is frankly, a lot of my friends have no idea what Jesus ever did. And they might have a stereotype that he's really boring and they just don't have a clue. So I have to spoon feed them some evidence, some story. And I say, what would you think about a map of a man who could walk on water? I mean, I've never actually asked anyone that, but it, 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 what do you think it'd be like to be in a crowd when 5,000 people were being talked to and suddenly the chap at the front feeds you off a couple of sardines and a few loaves of bread? What do you think it would be like? And just try and get them to focus about Jesus Christ. But the other thing you need to prepare is your own story, your own story. Um, when I was at university, one of the professors took us aside and said, you're gonna do your finals in a few weeks time and I'm gonna tell you the questions on the finals paper. And I thought about this a long time since then. And I, at the time I thought, oh, what a gift. You know, he's making life really easy, but that was incredibly canny it got us to do the work and really i'm telling you in advance what the question they want to hear your story they, they want they're interested they know you they can see something's different and they they want to hear how has your life changed what was it that made you even think about uh, being a christian in the first place and I really want to impress upon you that what matters in telling your story is not any marks out of 10 for difficulty it is. You know, sometimes we have this stereotype that if my story was that I was a drug addict at the age of three and I murdered my mother when I was seven and then I ran around the world on fake air tickets and then I came back to England. Suddenly I woke up and thought, oh, help, my life's falling apart and now I'm a Christian. We think, oh, that would be a story worth telling. Well, it would be a story worth telling, but it would be every parent's nightmare. I mean, you know, we pray for our children that there'd never be a time that they didn't connect with Jesus. What matters is that your story is true, that it's authentic. That's what gives it credibility. One of my favorite stories of how someone became a Christian, I just love this. Uh, I was in a staff meeting in a big, big church many years ago, and someone said, we need someone to share their story. Um, this and we're going into a school, we need someone to share their story. And in the corner of the staff meeting, the three people burst into laughter and said, oh, Jane, Jane will tell her story. And the others guffawed with laughter and Jane went bright red. And they were taking a mickey out of Jane, clearly. And um, when the meeting was over, I went to this girl. She was quite a few years younger than me. I was on the staff, and I think she was very, very newly on the staff. And I said, Jane, I would like to hear your story. And she said, well, they're taking a mickey out of me because the way I became a follower of Jesus was I was three years old. And um, my mother invited the next door neighbor uh, to come around and play with me, her, her child, age three, and we were playing mummies and daddies, and we were cleaning. And my friend said to me, age three, Jane, 
is Jesus your friend? And I didn't know what she was talking about. And she said, would you like Jesus to be your friend? And we prayed together, <laughs> age three. I mean, maybe your heart doesn't melt at that. You need prayer. <laughs> it's lovely. What a lovely story. And it's precious, and it's precious because it's true. And you know, I don't know how God um, captures us all for his kingdom. He's got gazillion ways of doing it. But every single one of them is fascinating that um, we overcome the enemy through the blood of a lamb and our test. And that's our, our testimony is, I, I need to, but I hope, I hope I've been able to just draw our focus in a little bit to what Peter, who, as I said, started off disastrously as an evangelist and um, denied he knew Jesus at all, but he ends up writing, always be prepared, always be prepared to share a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. And I dream, I just want to tell you, I dream of the community of St. Michael's being wonderful at this, that um, it's been so exciting for Liz and me as we have sat in the side chapel um, over 10 different evenings and we've listened to people um, telling us their story of how they became followers of Christ. And, and our hearts have just been thrilled and thrilled and thrilled and thrilled. And, and God has commissioned us to do this. So, um, it's been a privilege to talk about it, and I hope we'll see this happening more and more. Should I just say with a short prayer? Is that acceptable? <laughs> Father God, we thank you for the stories that you put into our lives, because they're true, of how you open our eyes to you. And looking back, we can see that it is you that gave us a spiritual hunger in the first place. It's you that's given us good news to share. And it's you that's commissioned us to go out and be ambassadors for you. And we're bold to pray, e even in this time when lockdown is upon us. We just say, Lord, let this be a reminder to us that we're ready to share the hope that you've given us. We, we embrace the fact that you call us to be salt and light for you. And we pray that this talk and these discussions we're about to have uh, wouldn't just be um, a thought that we have on a Tuesday morning. We, we pray that we'd be able to encourage each other and build each other ears that you captured our heart with your love. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.